0: How are you out there? You look good. I don't have my glasses on, though. That's why we have glasses, so we can take them off and think we still look good. So uh, we finished up on Matthew 25 last week. We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians which is an interesting book for us at this time. If you know anything about the Corinthians, they were a wild, crazy bunch. <laughs> so I, I don't think it's, a, it's really a hop, skip, and a jump from there to us. So um, I'm going to read a little bit of the text here. We're going to look at four verses, the first four verses of chapter 1. Um, let's thank God for the Word, and then I'll read some of the text Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We thank you, Lord God, that... Oh, what a good set of lungs. We thank you, Lord God, that you have treasures for us stored up in your scripture. And because we're your children and you've displayed the glory and splendor of your son from Genesis to Revelation, there's something in here that's relevant for us. Father, even texts that are thousands of years old, because they're your living word, they change us from the inside out. So Father, that's what we pray as we study 2 Corinthians and we look at this Pauline epistle here that was very directed at a church that was uh, morally wild and undisciplined. Lord God, we pray that in the culture that we live in, this would be a wake-up call and a reminder to us to live holy, and to stay right with you at every cost. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read till I get tired. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Timothy. So even in the introduction, there is a ton of stuff there we're going to look at. To the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints, holy ones, that's what saints means, who are throughout Acacia. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, say affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. I'm going to stop there for now, but Paul wrote this second of his two epistles to the Corinthians in approximately 56 AD, and uh, I want you to realize that Paul had been converted only for 20 years, which, you know, sometimes it seems like a lot, and sometimes it doesn't. I've been a pastor on staff here in September will be 30 years. So Paul is 20 years into his ministry, his conversion, as you know, was... A startling conversion. It was a, a, a complete turnaround. He goes from being a persecutor of the church, a Pharisee, a, a getting letters of, uh, you know, from the high priest to persecute the church. He goes from that to being knocked down, blinded, and raised up by God to become the preacher who brings the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. So a big change, and, you know, he, his life needs to speak to us because some of us have had big changes. Yes, and some of you need big changes. Yes. <laughs> Talking like a dad right there, right? You better, how many times have your parents said to you, you better change that attitude? Anybody? Yeah, yeah all right. I'm with you, Tony. But Paul had a big change, and that should speak to us that God is able to reverse the course of anyone's life if they're willing to submit to his leading. So he's... 56 AD, this is his second epistle. 1 Corinthians, he's already laid down a foundation for them. 20 years into his ministry, he is ministering the depths of theology. In fact, theology is being poured through him into the New Testament. That's the, the foundation of the Christian church. The theme of 2 Corinthians is an interesting one it's the relationship between suffering in this life and simultaneously being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, we are going to suffer in this life. How many suffered today? (laughs) And we're going to suffer in this life, but that suffering doesn't mean that God is not with us. Because while we suffer, we can simultaneously be full of the Holy Spirit and walking in resurrection power. You see, that's a theme here in this book, and I'll tell you why. Because Paul's critics argued that he was suffering way too much to be a spirit-filled Christian. Did you realize that? There were those in the church and outside of the church that looked at Paul's life and think, this guy goes from one disaster to the next. He gets kicked out, he gets beat, he gets stoned, he gets thrown out of every synagogue. There's too much affliction, there's too much trouble, there's too much drama in his life for him to be a spirit filled Christian. And so Paul writes as a defense of his apostleship, as a defense of his calling, and that's a main theme here. He spends time defending his apostolic calling and his apostolic authority. It was important that the church that was really following Jesus know that Paul was an apostle and that he was anointed because God was pouring New Testament theology through him. (laughs) If you just went like, ah, to everything Paul wrote, you're not going to get saved. So he takes the time, while, you know, many times we don't need to defend ourselves, Paul did defend himself here against his critics, against the false prophets and false teachers who said, you know what, your life is just such a disaster, Uh, you suffer so much that you can't be a spirit-filled Christian. God's affirmation, Paul, is not on your life because you suffer so much. He's going to prove that that's exactly wrong. That we can suffer, that we can have trial and tribulation, we can fall down and get wiped out and get knocked over sometimes and still be right where God wants us to be. Amen. Maybe that encourages you. I've been through some stuff, and we're going to look at Paul. Been through some stuff, but that doesn't mean God's abandoned me. That doesn't mean God is not with me. That doesn't mean I'm not right with God. I can be in the midst of that storm and at the same time be in His perfect will and filled with the Spirit of God. The purpose of this letter is to strengthen the faithful majority in Corinth, and at the same time to correct the rebellious minority. There was a faithful majority and rebellious minority. And I think that is a a thumbnail sketch of the church at any one time. Most of the people are there with the right heart, trying to do the right thing, having the right attitude, and then you've got a minority in the church that's got a bad attitude, that's murmuring, that's complaining, that's resisting the move of the Holy Spirit there again, this stuff shouldn't surprise us. I can't believe it. You know, uh, you know they, they didn't fall in line with what the Holy Spirit was doing. They, they rebelled up against the pastor. They tried to split the church. The Lord warned us that all these things would happen. Why? Because as we learned in Matthew, the wheat grows with the tares. So... Paul is going to affirm and bless and strengthen those who have the, the right attitude, who are the faithful majority, but he's going to simultaneously correct the rebellious minority. It's so—it's such a pleasure as a leader to watch him do this so skillfully and with grace but yet firmly and with, uh, you know, in, in ways that are irrefutable. So a quick outline of this epistle. There are 13 chapters. They break down into four categories. Uh, number one will be Paul's defense of his ministry from chapter 1 to chapter 7. Then Paul's encouragement of the church regarding a collection. He was taking up for another church to bless it, and that's in chapter 8 through the first part of chapter 9. Then Paul's appeal to the rebellious minority. So you see there's an order here. He 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 defends his ministry. He encourages the faithful. Then he corrects the rebellious, and that's in chapter 10 through 13. And then he gives his closing and his greeting in uh, the last part of 13 into 14. And that's a breakdown of the book, obviously, as we go through it you know you might want to remember that so hopefully you didn't stare at me and you wrote that down but (laughs) Uh, verse 1 of chapter 1. Let's jump right in. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Timothy. So Paul starts off his address here to the Corinthians in a way that highlights three important details about his spiritual authority. You might not have picked all that up in there, but he is. He says, Paul, number one, an apostle. He identifies himself as an apostle. That's part of the five-fold ministry. Uh, to be an apostle, you had to actually be an eyewitness of Jesus's ministry. An apostle in its purest form is someone who was there with Jesus. So we know the apostles that were there. And Paul was actually handpicked by Jesus. And Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the Damascus road. So legitimately, he can call himself an apostle. Now, the fivefold ministry that's been given to the church, the first thing that's listed are apostles. People still function in apostolic ministry, but to be a real apostle like one of the 12, you had to have been there with Jesus. And you look good tonight, but none of you look that old. So there are no apostles like the 12 apostles that were with Jesus, but we can function in apostolic ministry. That's those who God uses to build the church. They're church planters. They're leaders of leaders, and that's still a call that is in effect in the body of Christ. Some people get real hung up on this, but, you know, don't get hung up on it. Paul identifies himself as as an apostle. And that's an important thing. The second thing he highlights here is he was hand-selected by Jesus himself. Look what it says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So we know about Paul's calling. We know about his encounter with the Spirit of God on the Damascus Road. Remember what Jesus said to him, why do you persecute me? And Paul's like, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you persecute. He connected and corresponded with Jesus who confronted him and hand selected him. So he's an apostle, hand selected and called by Jesus himself. Just like the other apostles, Jesus called each one of them into the ministry. Come, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So Paul's an apostle. He's hand selected by Jesus Christ. See, he's he's kind of strengthening his credentials here. So the people who are trying to, you know, undercut him and make as if he has no authority to minister and to, you know, set the foundations of the church, they're being refuted. Number three, the third thing he highlights in verse one is that he holds this office of an apostle by divine calling. Look what it says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. There's only one way to be called, by the will of God. We have enough people in leadership who are self-appointed, self-anointed, and all about themselves. And we don't need any of that in the body of Christ. Did you ever see a person that put themselves into leadership? That thought because they were like Saul, they were head and shoulders above everyone else, that they should be the leader? God chooses who leads. And listen, if if God's not picking you, if God's not giving you the nod or he's not releasing you into leadership in a certain position, do not force your way into it. There will be no grace for you there and the devil will tear you to pieces. You remember the seven sons of Sceva? They tried to cast out devils in, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And what did the devils do? Came out, ripped them apart, stripped them naked and sent them running for their lives. That's how self-anointed, self-appointed people will function. The enemy won't stand them, and the Spirit of God won't bless them. So Paul kind of just right out of the box here is, you know, pretty uh, strategic in the way he addresses them that, you know, I'm an apostle, I've been hand-selected by Jesus, and I'm called by the will of God. Now, after that, who who really wants to mess with this guy? But we can see there's one in every crowd, and so... He needs to do a little bit more. But the second half of verse 1, he mentions Timothy. Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. Timothy was Paul's spiritual protege. Paul was grooming him and mentoring him and positioning him for leadership when Paul was gone. Timothy is mentioned here by Paul as an affirmation. You know, there's some people when they drop your name or say your name or affirm your name, it can launch you into a whole different level of respect in the eyes of others. You know, I'm 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 not saying I'm a big fan of this person, but there was a time where if Oprah Winfrey mentioned your name on her show about a book you wrote, it would soar up the charts yeah. to you could have a number one book yep. just by having her mention your book on the show. Yep. Um, when some Certain people who have influence affirm you, it launches you into higher places. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here for Timothy, mentioning him that, hey, he's with me, this guy is of me, he's my spiritual son. He's my protege. He's going to solidify something in Timothy in the view that the body of Christ has of him. So when he ministers in Paul's absence, he's going to have the same authority and the same anointing. And, uh, you know, it's something that we need to take notice of here. The letter is directed to the Corinthian church, to all the saints. And I mentioned there when it said, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, With all the saints. Now that word saints, we're gonna explore that a little bit, but it's translated holy ones. That that's one understanding. So you could read it like to the church of God which is in Corinth, with all the holy ones who are throughout Acacia. So look around and look at all the holy ones here. Come on, look at each other. Holy ones. You might think I don't feel holy. Some people are thinking that you don't look holy. (laughs) But you are, you are holy and you are a saint. And we're going to explore that. that, that flies in the face of religious uh, concepts that define sainthood in ways that are not biblical. But we're going to take a look at this. Paul calls all the people in the church saints, not because of their spiritual prowess, not because of their achievements. Remember, the, Cor- the Corinthians were wild. If if anybody, I mean, it's like, you know, if you're going to choose any group to be saints, it probably wouldn't have been them in the natural. (laughs) Just like when God chose the Jewish people, he chose a peculiar people. He's like, I didn't choose you because you, I chose you because I loved you. So he's calling these guys saints, and probably to a lot of people, they're saints, they're crazy over there in Corinth, but they were redeemed by the power of the blood of Jesus, and the anointing of God was on their life because of the Holy Spirit, amen? Now that Greek word for saints there is hagasio, not grazioso. Hagazio. There's an oso in there, there's a little bit, I I thought of you. But that word in the Greek there, hagazio, means to set apart, to sanctify, or to make holy. And whether we understand it completely or not, that's exactly what Jesus did for every one of us when we accepted him as our Savior and as our Lord. He set us apart. and Then he sanctified us. What, what does that mean? He, he purified us by the blood of Jesus that he shed at Calvary, and then he made us holy. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin and our failure and our weakness. He sees the blood of Jesus, and he sees us as holy. Amen? I know it's hard to think of yourself this way. I know it's hard for me to think of myself that way because I know my weakness. I know my failures. I know my sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And God's saying, no, I don't see any of that. I see the blood of the lamb that takes yeah. away your sin. Amen. So when he calls them saints, he's not being melodramatic. He's not trying to flatter them. He is telling them who they are in Christ. We are set apart by God, sanctified for good works, filled with the Holy Spirit, and made clean and pure by the blood of the Lamb. Saints, every one of us who are in Christ. Verse two, uh, look how much fun we had with one verse. Verse 2 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is somewhat of a typical Jewish greeting here, uh, especially in writing and in their literature. Uh, It had become a mark of Paul's writing. There's certain introductory phrases, and there's certain uh, two-part phrases that Paul uses that kind of show that he it's his epistle. In fact, there's a little discrepancy of who wrote the book of Hebrews, but if you look at the writing of it and the structure, you could tell it's Paul. It's his fingerprints are all over it. Still, some people don't think he wrote it, but some people are just not smart. So... Uh, A typical Jewish greeting here. So he's saying grace and peace. Now, that's the thrust of what Paul is bringing to the church here. Um, and, And notice that our grace and peace. How many people need grace in their life? How many people want peace in their life? So that's a good greeting, amen? Grace and peace. But notice where the source of our grace and peace is. It's from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget where your peace comes from. Some people think it comes from a bonus, it comes from vacation, it comes from a a purchase. Come on, how many, you know, the steady stream of Amazon boxes coming to your house. (laughs) Jeff Bezos' yacht is getting bigger and bigger. And it's like, why? Because uh, uh, if I buy stuff and get stuff and new stuff and have stuff, uh, peace comes from that. No, our peace doesn't come from that. Our peace, it, it says right here that grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget where your peace comes from. You say, why do you emphasize that, Pastor? Because there's a lot of counterfeits out there that advertise they can give you, it can give you peace and it doesn't. How many people have you know, thought, when I get this or accomplish that or get to this position in the firm or make this amount of money, then I'll have peace? Only to, only to realize it's like chasing the wind. It's like a dog chasing its tail, you know? You never really catch it. Um, there's a lot of counterfeits out there. There's false bill of goods. Uh, verse 3 describes God as the father of mercies, and all comfort. So thank God for grace and peace. And it comes from the Lord. But he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Let's Uh, Let's explore that. You know, many people might read right through these four verses and think this is just introductory stuff and everything, but all of God's word is impregnated with illumination and revelation for us to extract. And so as we look at these verses that some people will, let's get to the meat here. No, there's meat in all of this. So we look at his grace and mercy, and then it it, it says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Well, thank you, Lord, that mercy comes from you, and the God of all comfort. Uh, What this is showing here, you know, is that the attributes that flow from God are the exact things that we need. I need grace. I need mercy. What is mercy in the biblical sense? It's showing empathy compassion, kindness, and pity to others. You know, no one wants to be pitied, but when someone looks at someone who's been through much or been so broken or been so shortchanged by life, there is a sense where, you know, God looks and his heart is broken. He pities us not in the sense of, well, you're just pitiful, I can't do anything with you. No, he's like, I'm so broken that you went through all that. It wasn't my will, and I was right there, but you know what? I want to extend grace to you. I want to extend compassion to you, and that's exactly what we're looking for because we need someone who can empathize with us, someone who can be kind to us. That's Jesus, our high priest. I mentioned the book of Hebrews is all about the high priesthood of Jesus Christ, that we have a high priest who can relate to us in every way. He was tempted, he was betrayed, he was broken, he wept. We can never look at Jesus and go, you just don't understand, Jesus. You know, there's some ways that the father doesn't understand because he never experienced the weakness of the flesh. But Jesus did. Father in heaven was never tempted. God was never, you know, he, he never wore flesh. He never had a feeling of weakness. Jesus cried on the, on the cross, you know, why have you forsaken me feeling that separation from his father? God never felt the anxiety of something like that. But he sent his son to experience all of that and still live a sinless life so he would be a worthy sacrifice on the cross. That his life was spotless and perfect and he overcame the flesh and then on the cross he broke the power of sin such a powerful thing that, you know, we look to God, our Father, for mercy, and we get it because of what Jesus has done. Now, we can become overly focused on mercy and favor. Oh, I need a break. I need someone to cut me some slack. I need favor. We can be over-focused on the mercy and the favor that comes from men. See, people in the world, the way they get where they want to get is they they climb up the corporate ladder or they climb up the whatever structure to get to where they want to be they they think they need favor and favors from people what can you do for me what can you do for me where can you get me what do you have to offer me that's the way the flesh thinks and sometimes even as Christians, you know, I, I, I just get so confused that Christians who, you know, they, they don't stand on the right side of moral issues because, you know, they, 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 uh, they waffle over, you know, who their source is. Is man going to provide for me? Am I going to get this? Is the government going to take care of me? You know, should I vote for the Republicans or the Democrats? Who's going to give me the, you know, who's going to provide for me? Right. And I get so confused by that because, you know what, God is our source. Right. And if God is for us, who could be against us? Why would we compromise our morality and even vote for things that are wicked and not biblical because we're like, I'm looking to man to take care of me. God is our source. So are we Christians? Are we spiritual? Or are we worldly? Don't answer that. All of us got things to work out. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just telling the truth in love. So here's, you know, we look to man to give us favor. And you see this with people like, oh, if a, a rich person has a lot of friends, right? Oh, they can take me out on their boat. They can take me out for dinner. They can, you know, they can loan me money to start a business. And people think that way. So let's be careful about looking for the mercy and the favor of man. Uh, You know, and once we realize that all of what we need comes from God, uh, what others think of us and what others hold against us and what others can do for us doesn't matter anymore. I pray we all get to the level of maturity to where that's exactly what we are. That we're not looking to man to do anything for us, but we're 100% relying on daddy God to provide all our needs according to his riches and glory. So, above all the mercies we seek, we must seek the mercy of God. Consider the implications of Roman eight, Romans 8. Listen to what Romans 8, starting in verse 30, says. And these whom he predestined, that's you and I, yeah. he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Listen to this. What then shall we say to these things, if God before us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all how will he not also with him freely give us all things romans 8 30 through 32 we should commit that to memory we should put it on an index card and put it on our dresser we should write it backwards on our forehead so we could read it in the mirror every morning (laughs) whatever method you choose But we got to get that scripture in us because it's not what this person thinks of me or what that person thinks or what this group thinks of me. If God is for us, if God is for us, what do I care about the favor of man? What am I willing to compromise to win the favor of man that benefits me absolutely nothing? So there's a lot in here that you know, it talks about being predestined and called and justified and headed for glory. That's you and I. You know, we are called by God. We are, that, that idea of predestination that God knew in a moment of time that we would say yes to him and he would come into our lives and save us. Uh, and 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 we each have a unique calling on our lives and the, we're justified by the blood of the lamb. There's so much powerful uh, stuff in there in Romans, hate. Uh, it would be great to just meditate on that. So, you know, I want to say this after having said all I did about looking for the favor of man. It is to some benefit for all of us to have a level of integrity and esteem in the eyes of men where it directly benefits the God we serve. Yeah. If everybody, I mean, if everybody looks at us as Christians and they are just completely turned off by us, that's, that's going to short-circuit our mission, which is to reach the lost. So there, at, at some level, we should have esteem and integrity in the eyes of men, not to win their favor, to get them to do us something that, that God promised to do, but you know, to directly reflect on our God. Listen to uh, Matthew five sixteen. Your light must shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Did you hear that? Your light. They they can't think we're all hypocrites and liars and cheats and selfish and judgmental. No, your light must shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The way we behave reflects on our God. Now, no matter what we do, there's going to be some people who don't like us and say bad things about us. Despite what your mama told you, not everybody's going to like you. So we got to let that go, but we've got to do our very best to, like Jesus did, gain wisdom and favor with God and man. So when people look at us, they say, you know what? That, that person... Is a, is a special person. They love Jesus. They love others. They, they, do, you know, they do good things, and it reflects on God. And that's as far as we need to be concerned with it. Not that they think we're great or special or they want to do something for us, but that our lives reflect the goodness of the God we serve. And we, we should be mindful of that when interacting with the world. You know, some Christians, you know, are, come across very judgmental, very angry and it turns off a lot of people. And I think we do our God a disservice because our God is not judgmental and angry. He's loving, and his arms are wide open. Amen. So mercy and favor, we must look for them from God, our Heavenly Father, and let's not forget the second component that was mentioned here. It talks about him being the God of comfort, and that's that's an important thing. How many people could use some comfort every once in a while. Amen. I didn't say southern comfort. Don't stay. <laughs> stay away from that, even if you're from the south. But we all need comfort. Amen. When we're falling apart, when we're having a hard time, when we're having a rough day, we instinctively look for someone to comfort us. You know, I feel sorry for people who, you know, they have no support structure. You know, at work, everyone's rough on them. Uh, they, they, They just, you know, go home and everyone's mad at them. Their spouse is not happy to see them. You come home, the dog greets you, no one else does. And then the dog growls at you. It's a rough day. But, you know, we have these moments where all of us need comfort, when we're falling apart, when we're broken, when we're worn out, and and instinctively we look for someone or something to comfort us. That's human nature. This is why people turn to the darkness of alcoholism and drug addiction. Why? Because they're messed up and they're broken and they're anxious and they, they don't know how to comfort themselves. And no one in their life is speaking life to them and they have no inlet for the the spirit of God and and they're shut off. So, you know, they drink to excess. They use drugs. People are caught up in sexual addiction, overeating. You know, they make exercise an idol or achievements or, or whatever they do to find comfort. And the sad thing is that none of those things work. And if they do work, they don't work for long. The Greek word in the text for comfort here is paraklesios, and it means encouragement that comes from someone coming to our aid. Paraklesios. Encouragement that comes from someone coming to our aid. Do you know, over 2,000 years ago, someone came to our aid. (laughs) And because of what he did on our behalf, We can receive comfort from the father. Why? Because before the cross, really, you know, even the even the faithful who served God in the Old Testament, they were still under the curse of sin and the cross hadn't happened yet. And when they died, they didn't go into the presence of God. Most of us know this. All the patriarchs, David, all the prophets, they went, you know, not to hell, but in a place outside it. And they had to wait for the cross to happen so that Jesus could go get them as a first fruits offering and bring them into the presence of God. So understand the cross changes everything and it makes all the difference. And that's why we can be comforted. You know, a lot of people comfort themselves with deception. They're lost, they're in bondage, they're not headed for heaven when they die, and yet they say, oh, everything's okay, everything's gonna be all right, it's gonna be fine, I got a lot of things to be thankful for. That's comforting yourself with deception. I can't be comforted unless God comforts me with the truth. If I'm in Christ and I'm right with him and I am headed for heaven, then everything else just shouldn't bother me. But we have to be comforted with the truth. Paraklesios, someone came to our aid, that paraclete, there that, you know, there's other Greek words that derive from that that are familiar to us. But again, it's God's comfort that we should rely on because anyone or anything else we use to comfort ourselves will maybe only work for a little while and then it won't work anymore. And then there'll be more despair. The alcoholic that can't drink their troubles away, it plunges into deeper despair. The drug addict that can't be high enough. Now what? This doesn't work. That's why these things are, you know, they're progressive and they get worse and worse. It's the downward spiral of sin. Be careful what you let comfort you. It could be a deception and a distraction. We need to learn to get the comfort of God. Verse four, who comforts us in all our affliction, thank you, Lord, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with all the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. A little bit of a tongue twister, but I hope we're getting this. If not, we're gonna dig in here a little bit. Verse four really gives us, the proverbial big picture here. That's really what that was there. And we're gonna look at it, you know, the big picture of why we so desperately need God's mercy and comfort uh, to be part of our walk with him. Because you know what? You and I can come to Christ, but we never let the Lord comfort us, and we never let the Lord extend mercy to us. We're constantly hard on ourselves. We're constantly down on ourselves. And, you know, a lot of Christians live in that state where they haven't allowed the comfort of God to rest upon their lives, where the mercy of God is almost rejected, like, no, I don't deserve it. Well, sure, we don't deserve it, but that's why it's grace. It's unmerited favor. So understand, you know, the comfort and the mercy of God is available to us, but yet, you know, we've got to allow it to touch our lives. And that happens when we open ourselves up to him. And whether we like it or not, all of us are going to experience affliction. You see what it says here? Who comforts us in all our afflictions. I don't have any afflictions. Oh, hang in there. The day's not over yet. Oh, most of us are, are more mature than that to say, yeah, I've been through some afflictions. And whether we like it or not, we're going to experience afflictions in this life. But, you know, it says who comforts us in all our affliction?" So it's not just a couple afflictions. It's not just certain afflictions. It's all our afflictions. So when we realize he's the cure for what ails us, that he's the one who came to our aid, uh, you know, that our afflictions seem to pale in comparison. Why? Because there's hope for us in all our afflictions. And no matter what comes to our lives and touches us today, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us, we can get through it. Amen. Amen. The things we learn and the comfort we receive in our afflictions become life lessons that God expects us to share with others. Let me say that again while I'm done coughing. The things we learn. And the comfort we receive in our afflictions, we're going to have them and we need to learn to receive the comfort of God. Why? Because they'll become life lessons for us that we can share with others and God expects us to do that. I'm going to need one of these. So let's read the text again and kind of solidify this point. We're going through stuff because God wants us to share what we learned with people who are going through stuff so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we're comforted to comfort others. Are you getting this? It's very important. Can we get real for a minute? Two people? The rest of you want to stay in obscurity? No. Okay, I'm going to get real with you. Paul went through a lot of crap in his life. You know, that's the only way to describe it. He went through stuff that if we went through, half of us would have quit a long time ago. When I look at all the tribulation and all the affliction and, 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 and everything that this guy went through, in fact, he made a list of it, and it's in 2 Corinthians 11:23. 23. Listen to this. As they are servants of Christ, Paul speaking, I am speaking as if insane, I more so, in far as my labors and my imprisonments, beaten times without numbers, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent adrift at sea. I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brethren. I told you, Paul, been through some. Right? In fact, I'm thinking like one or two of those would make most casual Christians tap out. You know, I was lost at sea for a day and a half. I'm going to write a book and be on a TV show, and I'm out. But look at all he went through, all the danger, all the trouble, all the beatings, beaten so many times, you know, uh, that he couldn't even count. 39 lashes, why? Because you couldn't give a Roman citizen 40, so they beat him right up to the legal limit. 39 lashes would probably kill most people. Yet, Paul's perspective about everything he went through allowed him to endure what most people could never endure. See, to him, to live was Christ and to die was gain. And there was no cost too high to abandon the call of God in his life. Jesus had done so much for Paul, that he was forever grateful that he would go through all that, you know what I mentioned, and not even have a bitter spirit, not even complain, not even mention it, except if it was to glorify God. His perspective allowed him to endure. Why? Because he learned to receive the comfort of God. He was not looking at all for the accolades or the approval of men. Like Jesus, his meat was to do the will of him who sent him. God allows what we are going through to be part of our journey so that we can, paraclesios come to someone's aid and comfort them. That's why you go through what you go through. That's why you suffer. That's why you deal with sickness in your body. That's why you get rejected or abandoned or persecuted. Why? Because you learn in that to overcome and to receive God's comfort and mercy. And then what you can do is you can reach down and grab one of the least of these, one of your brothers and sisters, even someone who's not saved. You can reach down and pull them out and encourage them and point them to the cross. So don't ever think what you're going through doesn't have a point. That's a lie. God uses everything we got. Every skill, every talent, every availability, every flaw, he uses everything if we'll let him use us. Who around you is struggling? Who around you is going through sickness or loss or divorce I just had a friend at my gym that I had grown close to over the years. His 46-year-old wife had a stroke and died. He has two little boys, and now he's a single father. He's only in his 40s. How many Christians that have been through loss, that have been through pain and trauma, that received the comfort of God, could rally around a man like that and hold his hands up? See, who around you is suffering, who who's going through a divorce, who's going through failure or the loss of a job, or pain in their body, or persecution, or disappointment. Maybe God wants you to come to their aid, Paraclesios, and comfort them with the wisdom and compassion you've gained in all you've been through. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I thank you for this incredible treasure you've given us in the Word of God. I thank you for this man of God, Paul, who, though he was a persecutor of the church, allowed you to grab hold of his life and turn him around as an example to all of us, that he became a comfort, Lord, to so many who didn't know you and brought multiplied millions into the kingdom through the gospel you poured through him. Father, we pray that you could use us Maybe we'll never be able to accomplish what Paul has done, but Lord, wherever you can use us and whosoever life you can use us, we make ourselves available to you. And God, when we go through trial and we go through problems and we go through tribulation, may we learn to receive your comfort and your mercy and your peace that we would realize it's not just a nuisance, it's not just an anomaly, it's not just an injustice, It's an opportunity to grow in our faith and grow in our anointing so that we can be strength for others in their time of need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.